up and start reading the word on your own. I began to read God's word. With my mom, who was uh, was constantly there, we, for whatever reason, we always would go to mom instead of dad when we were in trouble. And uh, there's certain conversations we'd have with mom rather than dad, although we had a lot of conversations with dad. Uh, but it was 12 years ago. So Mother's Day is like, I think it's a, it's a, it's a celebration and it's, and it's important to stop and say thank you. But 12 years ago was probably one of the last times I saw my mom. Uh, I finished preaching. Uh, we loaded up her family and we drove about 20 miles to Chamber where uh, my mom was in palliative care at the time. And, uh, and we gathered around her bed for one of the last times. Twice after that, I saw my mom, and she passed away later that week. And so it's, there's a sadness to Mother's Day for a lot of us as well. I still miss picking up the phone and calling her. And uh, so if you, if your mom's still around, give her a call, say hello, love on her, whatever. Okay. And, uh, and remember that they are a gift to the Lord. Couple of announcements. Uh, we've been talking about. Um, Joining services over the course of uh, the summer with Calvary Community Reform Church. Uh, their uh, consistory or leadership team met this week, and they would like to do that. Uh, they've asked if they could start on June the 10th. So not the very end. Uh, we'll uh, send the little ones downstairs. Father, we love you. Thank you that you love us. Lord, uh, as we read at the beginning, we can come to you when we're weary and heavy burdened. You will give us rest and as a father in many ways we are like children we are dependent and in need and we can't live on our own so father we ask that we uh as you graciously served us may we graciously love the kids and the little ones that you've blessed our church with and so lord go with them this after, uh, this morning as they go downstairs and be with those who are giving them leadership and uh, father I pray that you would cause our little ones in our congregation to grow and know you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. First Samuel. We're coming to the end of First Samuel. And uh, I'm tempted to carry on into Second Samuel, but at the same time I, I sense that we need a bit of a break from the Old Testament. So my hope is we can return to 2 Samuel sometime in the fall or early next year. The plan is, starting the beginning of June, uh, might wait down to the 10th, I'm not sure, but uh, we will dive into the book of Ephesians. And uh, just a, a, a great book that I think for us to go through in the months of uh, summer that speaks to God's grace and mercy in our lives it speaks to who we are as a church and what we how, how we should function, not only individually, but corporately. And so I'm looking forward to sinking our teeth into some of the New Testament, particularly Paul's work in the letter to the letter in Ephesians. Uh, but now we are in 1 Samuel, and we're going to try to tackle, again, two chapters, much smaller than last week, 1 Samuel 27 and 28. Have you noticed that 
those who disagree with uh, Justin Trudeau have a difficult time finding any positive things to say about him. Maybe you fall into that camp. Or, to be fair, those who disagree with Donald A. Trump seem to have a similar problem. It appears to me that our world has become so polarized that we refuse to see the positives, to see the image of God in those with whom we hold differing opinions with. And I say that quite strongly. Because I think such a climate can either be helpful or honest. I've done numerous funerals and I, of individuals that uh, when I look at their life, they, they are radically different than me, and I found very little reason to have hope of where their eternal destination lies. And yet, I think if we look closely enough, there was things that I could say that they too bore the image of God. Often I think we approach the Bible in a similar fashion. We take a look at a character like King Saul, and we stick a black hat on him, and then that's all we see. And we fail to recognize at the beginning of his life there were some positives. When they summarize his life, he was, a, he was a husband of one woman. Very different than David. And so although he was a man that did not trust in God, there were certain qualities that I think are important to take a peek at. And let's be honest about it. But on the flip side, I think we do the same thing with David, just the other way. Sometimes we stick a white hat on David and we fail to see that he's a person like us. And again, I, I think such a picture of humanity is not honest nor helpful. And so as we've been going through 1 Samuel, we've seen some warts on David's life. And today's chapter, quite frankly, there are some glorious mountaintops, and there are some warts. 1 Samuel chapter 27 is where we'll start. Let's read verses 1 all the way down to the end of verse 2 in chapter 28. Then David said in his heart, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose and went over, he and the 600 men who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household. And David with his two wives, Ahimelech of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. But why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? 
So that so that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites, the Gerizites, the Malachites. For these were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as far as sure to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive. But would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Akish. When Akish asked, where have you made a raid today? David would say, against the Negev of Judah, or against the Negev of the Jeremoites, or against the Negev of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking, lest they should tell about us and say, so David has done such was his custom. All the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to the people of Israel, therefore he shall always be my servant. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel, and Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Let's pray. God, would you speak to us this morning, please, by your word, through your spirit, in your name we pray. Amen. We begin by looking at David, then we're going to continue to read, and we're going to look at Saul. But if we're going through the life of David, particularly this section, uh, remember the story. David has had a rough go of things. His situation, his circumstance has not been good. And it actually is getting worse. This is the very thing he feared. He, he feared in the last chapter that, that he would be driven from his home from the very presence of God into a land where they worshipped other gods. And that, you, can't, you can't leave the presence of God, but there was something about being in the land of Israel where the worship of God was taking place. That was dear and precious to David. And so David is pushed out, driven out into this place. He's with 600 men and their families. It's kind of difficult to hide in the wilderness with 600 men and their families. And now he's living a life, quite frankly, of dishonesty for a year and four months. He's, he's going on, what's he doing? He's, uh, he's, he's going out to battle, and he comes back and tells the king something different. He tells him part of the truth, but not the whole truth. He's going to, co going to cover his tracks. Uh, he's with his two wives. So again, that's a problem. We mentioned that last week. Uh, according to the creation story, according to Deuteronomy 17, that was a no-no. So what I want to draw your attention to is the very first words in chapter 27. 
Some of your translations would say then David thought, but my, our translation ESV, I think, is a little clearer, a little more closer to the original when it says then David said in his heart. What did David say to himself? David said to himself, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. I think what we say to ourselves is of vital importance. Chester says it this way, what we say to ourselves will shape our heart. What do you say? You, you, might, you might not even know it if you're talking to yourself, but we all do it. What's striking is up until this point, David's experience in life has shown that he will not perish under the hand of King David. Three times he eludes the sword. Three times. When he has to run from his home, he's spared as Michael warns him and hides him and gets him out of dodge. Two times, Saul is chasing him down. David actually has the opportunity to confront him, and it seems coincidence. But uh, it strikes me as funny that suddenly David says, now I shall perish one day. Now let's not be too hard on him. Understand the heat in his life. But why would he say this in his heart? And then it's even more striking when, just in the last chapter, David says to one of his one of his mighty men, Abishai, he says to him in verse, I think it's verse 10, David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, Saul, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. David had just finished saying that, that God will deal with Saul. And wasn't it Abigail, his new wife, who says to him, in chapter 25, men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life. The life of my Lord shall be bound in a bundle and the living in the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And, and didn't Saul say in chapter 24? In verse 20, And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. And, and, and didn't Jonathan and his friends say something similar in chapter 23? And didn't God say something very similar in chapter 16? I think what you have in, in chapter 27 is David saying to himself, I shall perish. But what David should have been saying is, this is what God has said. You see the difference? And I, I, I can look at my life on so many fronts where I haven't told myself, I've told myself a, a what I thought was true rather than telling myself what God was saying. And it affected the way I walked, the way I lived. I think what we have here is a moment in David's life where yes, he's wearing a white hat, but it's somewhat crooked maybe a little bit. His faith is faint at this moment. 
And what's striking is in verse chapter 21 and verse 1 and 2, he's now in a predicament. The Philistines have gathered their army, and they're about to attack the Israelites, whom David is supposed to be king of, and the Philistines have said, you are now in our army. And all David's dishonesty and his lack of faith have got him in a place of trouble. Have you been there? I have. David said in his heart, I love the psalmist who writes, he speaks very differently to his heart when he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. I think that's how we should speak to ourselves. And remind ourselves what God has said. But again, it's very easy for us from this perspective to cast stones at David. Remember, his situation was incredibly intense, incredibly difficult. But I think by looking at his life in such an honest way, I, I think we actually can learn from him. But how about the good? I said at the beginning that this chapter is filled with some mountaintops in David's life. Well, you might be struck as kind of odd that what I'm going to consider as a mountaintop, but in verse 8, he talks about he made raids against the Geshurites, the Gerizites, and the Amalekites. And he destroyed he would leave neither man nor woman alive. If you might, ask the question, how is that a good thing? On the surface, it sounds like a terrible thing. Here's David doing all this killing again. But we need to take a look at the geographic places he mentions and the names of these places to understand. So when the king and Kish gives David the land of the city of Ziklag, some three to four hundred years before David is alive, God makes it very clear that Ziklag was a city that belonged to Judah. God had given the city to Judah. It wasn't really the Philistines to give it to Judah or to David. It was already. The problem was the Philistines were the enemies of the nation of Israel. And Israel hadn't completed the task of driving out the people as God had so commanded. How about these names? The Geshurites, the Gerasites, and the Amalekites. Each of these individuals, each of these nations, each of these people groups were people groups that were at odds and were enemies of the nation of Israel. Back in the days of Joshua, three, four hundred years earlier, these were the people that God had said would be driven out of the land because of their sinfulness. And each of these three nations that are mentioned here are nations that Israel failed to and refused to drive out. 
And so there's a sense in this chapter where David's faith is faint, and yet there's a sense where David is acting like the second Joshua, saving his people. And so there's, there's an element, there's a mixed piece here. It's like, David, you're, you're struggling in your faith, you're lying, you have two wives, and yet, David, you're acting as if you're obeying the very command of God. Again, I think when we look honestly at in the mirror, or when we look at leaders that we might trust in the context of the church, that's us. Let's carry on. Let's look at chapter 28, and let's take a look at Saul. Verse 3. It's the second time we'll hear this. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers of the land uh, the Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shanum and Saul gathered all Israel and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly and when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. And Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, and the two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Divine for me by a spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. How he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land, and when and then why then are you laying a trap for me for my life to bring about my death? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? He said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. He bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress. The Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your son shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. 
then Saul fell at once, full, of, full light on the ground, filled with fear, because of the words of Samuel. There was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. The woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you have said to me. Now therefore you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat. You may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him and listened to their word. He listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Well, the woman had a fattened cat in the house, and she quickly killed it, and she took the flour and kneaded it, and baked on bread and bread of it, and she put it before Saul and his servants. And they ate, then they arose, and they went away that night. Quite a story, yeah? Maybe some of you have heard it for the first time. Maybe it's just a tiny little sliver, but you see some hope in Saul. Uh, the only place I see it here is in the sense where he, he actually made it a law that there should be no mediums. He was actually obeying Deuteronomy 18. So that's good. Good job, Saul. But outside of that, there seems to be not much to be praiseworthy. Requires of God, God will show you what's going on. He just, he, he, in, in every way, remember the Ur and Thummim is now with, with David. The prophet is with David. The Ur and Thummim is with David because the priest is with David. Saul had killed them. And when he inquires of God, God doesn't speak to him through visions. God is very quiet. Incredibly quiet. And so in great hypocrisy, he goes and goes, where is the medium? To me, it's interesting to sort of know where a medium is. Tells me what kind of servants he has. And so he goes. When she's scared to actually call up the dead on his behalf, Saul, in, in hypocrisy, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you. That just strikes me again. This Saul is quite the character. And he's looking for information, and what he actually needs is the presence of God. Medium does call up Samuel and he does get some information, but it leads him to an uncontrollable fear. The information he gets is tomorrow you and your sons are going to be like Samuel dead. What a hard chapter, right? But it's the outcome of 1 Samuel 15 where he disobeys God. It's intriguing to me at the very end. He won't obey God, he won't obey Samuel, he won't even listen to son Jonathan, but at the end of the chapter he has his last meal after obeying a medium and his servants. We see in Saul the good and the ugly. Now, 
kind of on the side. Maybe you're like me, and you, you're reading the story, and you go, mediums? What's that? And you probably know what that is. But you're probably going, is this true? Is this real? What's going on here? But I think we have to address it. See, in our, in our city, you don't have to go very far to find mediums. First moved to the city, we had a, a, a friend of ours, an old neighbor, was doing this very thing. Now you might ask, does did Samuel actually come up? Was it actually Samuel that it seems to be that it was Samuel? Does that mean every time somebody sees a medium, they actually talk to a person that has died? Probably not. A lot of fakes out there. But it also speaks to the reality in the context of the Christian faith that we believe in a God who created the heavens and the universe. We believe in a God who created not only humanity and the things that we see, but created the angelic world. And there is a supernatural that we don't see, that we don't completely understand, and there's a demonic world that turned away from God as well. And God very clearly tells us to stay away, not because of some cosmic killjoy, but because he knows that Satan is up to no good. And you see the response? Saul got what he wanted. But did you see where it led him? It led him to a place of debilitating fear. But God in his grace told us to run away from these things. You may have more questions revolving around that whole story. Feel free to have a conversation with me about that. But very quickly go to our last step, last slide. How are these two stories connected? I kind of wrestled with that. Chapter 27. Just read it once. You probably aren't going to catch on, but if you keep reading, you'll probably notice something's missing. Which is not missing in any other story in 1 Samuel or any other chapter in 1 Samuel. And that's the name of God or the name of the Lord. That's intriguing. In fact, it's so obvious that the silence is actually deafening. And I think it's a picture that David has been driven out from the land of Israel into a land where they serve other gods. And the author is just simply trying to paint a picture that this is a place where, where God, yeah, he, he sees, he's, he's present everywhere, but God is missing. God is absent. Where is God? And then in chapter 28, we get this picture of Saul, who's in the land, and God isn't listening. It's ironic that we're just side by side, these two chapters. Where is God? 
And I think our text is telling us that David, yes, he was a man with warts, he was a man who was, his faith at times was fake, but through no fault of his own, he was driven from the very presence of God. And you have King Saul, because of his own faults, was driven from the presence of God. Do you see the connection? Do you see the difference? And, and as I read this, I can't help but think and remind myself of Jesus, because isn't that what happened to Christ? To no fault of his own, he's driven from the presence of God, he hangs on a tree, and what does he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he does that willingly and out of incredible love for us. In fact, he's a better Joshua, he's a better David, because he's the perfect one. And he does that because we're really like Saul. Rebelled against an Almighty God, and we do not deserve His grace. We do not deserve for Him to hear our prayers. But we can only come to Him through the One who saved us, as Jesus, who was cast out of the presence of God on our behalf. And I think that's the connection between 27 and 28. I think when we read Hebrews, listen to these words. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Hebrews chapter 4, 15 and 16. Listen to Hebrews chapter 9. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And then in chapter 10 of Hebrews we read, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high, great priest of the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed. Dear people, as we humbly look in the mirror, recognize that we were more like David and more like Saul than we sometimes like to think. And we recognize our need for Jesus. And then with our eye of thanksgiving, may we consider Jesus and, and worship him. Let's pray. Father, these stories, this history that was recorded from such, such a long time ago, is, is 
has been saved and preserved for, for our benefit, so that we can learn from the life of the Saul and the life of the David, what to do, what not to do. Help us, Father, to be people who, who speak truths to ourselves. We remind ourselves of what you have said and not put our trust in what we think is going to happen. Father, I pray that you would, in grace and mercy, allow us to be a people to know your word and to trust your word and to follow, follow your word, unlike King Saul. Bigger than that, Father, I pray that you would help us as we look at your text and look at history, that our eyes would be drawn to Jesus. And may we marvel that we can even, even right now, just talk to you because of what Jesus has done. Lord, I pray that our people, this, this church body, would be people who consistently and continually faith and trust in you. And consistently and continually repent of our ways. In the name of Jesus we pray. With those words we gather around the table, we simply stop to remember what Christ blessed. As a church family, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome to join us at the table. We're doing things a little different. You've probably noticed lately, I'm going to be serving you, but still come in groups, five, six, seven, something like that would be great. And uh, let's wish you the Lord by remembering what you've done.